there is no one size fits all to what being a leader and leading with heart means. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm not an imposter anymore because I'm just me. You have imposter syndrome because you're an imposter. You were trying to do it right. the way that you saw someone else do it. This is not me. I don't have to do that to have an impact and be a leader and be respected and be seen as credible. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, Lead the Team Nation. Welcome back to another great episode. Today, I have for you Julie Sperlin, who is Chief Human Resource Officer over at HCSS a software company serving the heavy civil construction industry headquartered over in Sugarland, Texas. She has over 25 years of experience in HR, mainly in technology organizations, including RSA, a Dell Technologies company, and Software AG. Her experience covers HR business partnerships, global HR strategy, M&A, public, private, and PE held companies. I mean, really spans the gamut there. And this encompasses, and her experience encompasses all parts of the employee life cycle from A to Z. She believes in keeping heart at the center of leadership and maintaining a servant mindset. Julie, welcome to Lead the Team. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, before we got on, everybody, we had a deep dive on college football, specifically the Virginia Tech Hokies, which Julie is a proud alumnus. And we talked a little football. And let's just say Julie knows a thing or two about football well, and Virginia Tech football, <laughs> Virginia Tech football specifically. And so we talked a little bit about legendary football coach, Frank Beamer. Um, take this any direction you would like, but think back to Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech football, Frank Beamer. What's something that maybe you picked up along the way that's informed your leadership? From the football world so I, I would say when i started at virginia tech not to date myself but um we were two eight and one my freshman year so not not really beamer ball wasn't really killing it yet so um, you didn't go to virginia tech for the football as a football no okay <laughs> unfortunately um and you know what i saw early on is you know he he was incredibly gracious um he was incredibly kind to players and to his coaching staff, anytime speaking publicly after tough losses or whatever, he was just very um, poised and confident for the future. Mm -hmm. Eight and two, my sophomore year, and we went bull bound every year kind of after that. And uh, I worked in a flower shop and we actually did the flowers for their house for the holidays and all that kind of stuff. And him and his mm -hmm. wife, Cheryl, um, were just the nicest people. That and I think what really struck me is that graciousness extended beyond the field mm -hmm. and out into his everyday life. So when people saw him in the street, he's always going to stop for pictures with your babies. He's always going <laughs> to, you know, give a little hokey high. He's just really a kind person and his success did not put him in this elite category. You know, he's, he stayed very grounded to the community, mm -hmm. uh, a big part of it today even. And, 
I think that's what looking on, you know, even when times were tough, that grace is, you know, really what got him through. And I think was a big part of what made him successful in the community. So it sounds like you experienced coach Beamer when he was two and eight and one, and yep. then you experienced him when he was eight and two. Right. And it's the same ball. guy. Yeah. Same guy. <laughs> he treated you the same way. Graciousness. Uh, that's a pretty quick turnaround. Yep. What yep, it was from your, I mean, and I'm asking you to, you know, maybe dive a little deeper on it. Uh, if you're like, Ben, I don't know, pass it, pass those questions. <laughs> what in the world happened? Like how, what, what do you think is the root of, of that, of that turnaround from your perspective? So I think there's a couple things. Um, you know, he had a really great assistant coaching staff as well. Um, Bud mm-hmm. Foster, who's just amazing. Um, coach tight and, and several others that were there at the time. But the the biggest thing that I saw, um, I happened to know a lot of the players at the time too, um, the recruiting strategies and the way he got to know, and he yeah. actually cared a lot about those kids. Um, when they came in and, you know, coming from diverse backgrounds and all, all kinds of stuff. I mean, we all saw what sort of happened, different players over the time. Um, but, you know, he really put himself in a trusted mm-hmm. leadership role with them. Um, I think he was seen as well as gracious, poised, kind, respected when he went out on the recruiting trail. Mm. Um, And I think that really is what helped it. So between the assistant coaching staff and then the absolutely incredible power of his recruiting capabilities to bring in the talent into the state. I mean, we had some amazing players over those years. And and to want to come and be a part of, of that turnaround of a program, I think that was really exciting. And he sold that story really well. So the the name of this podcast is Lead the Team, but we can't forget what Julie's talking about is you got to build a great team. Mm-hmm. And she is a she is a chief human resource officer, so she knows a thing or two about that. But you're pointing out he he built his coaching staff and he built the actual team itself with the players in a positive way. And it sounds like that was a key yeah. driver from your perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the one of the coaches today was a player when I was there. And just, you know, the love and admiration that I know he carries for a coach is just amazing. And, you know, that's kind of when you look back on your career, you know, we're all not going to have that level of, of fame, probably. I, his well, beaver episode, way named after him on campus. Watch out. There after you go. this episode, you might be rivaling. Uh, coach Beamer. That would be pretty, that would be pretty amazing. He might want my autograph. That'd be cool. Um, <laughs> But, you know, when you when you look at that kind of um, just long legacy, that's what that's the best you could ever hope for is that people look back and and believed in you and knew that you believed in them. And I think that he's established that. Oh, I love it. So, so good. So let's let's advance the conversation a little bit here. So HR, human resources is a field that can often be fraught with tough decisions, long days. Tell me about a time where you faced a big challenge and what you do and what you did to, to help you keep going. So, I mean, it could be yesterday. You know, <laughs> there's, um, Just before there's no shortage. Yeah. There's no shortage um, of, of challenging days, but every once in a while you get one of those days, I kind of liken it to my terrible golf game that, you know, you get out there and, you know, you're, you're hitting and it's terrible and you're shanking and everything's a mess. And then you get that one shot and you're like, okay, that's I'll, I'll be back. Um, so I think a lot of it is very similar to that. Um, I had a, a situation once one of a very dear colleague had resigned. This was at RSA 
Um, if he's listening, he'll know I'm talking about him. Um, and it was heartbreaking. Um, a lot of it was he had some personal stuff going on at home and just was really struggling for the commitment to the role and to the work that we were doing. Um, and so, you know, he thought he sort of had no choice but to do this. And um, he was going to take another role that, you know, big promises on all that. Um, and so it was down to his going away party day. And I talked to him and he cried. I cried, you know, Mm -hmm. it was like, it was deep. It was real deep. And really what it was is I think, you know, I needed to understand what is really driving this. You know, what, are you going towards something? Are you running from something? What is it that we do? Um, And I'm not a big one on, you know, counter offers when they're purely financial based. I, I don't, it's rarely just about the money. Um, and it wasn't about that at all. So, you know, we talked through several of his concerns. Um, I asked him to leave me and go call his wife and talk to her about what I talked about. Cause that was a big part of his decision-making. So he came back and he, then I bring in his senior leader. So the two of us are sitting there, not a penny on the table. As far as conversation, we're just talking humans to human addressing really what was going on. And he decided to stay. But the best part of the story was afterwards. We went to his going away happy hour (laughs) where he announced to everyone that he was going to stay. And there was a, I have a video of it. It's one of my favorite things. Um, And it was amazing. The, the, the eruption of cheers and people were like, you know, who had been skeptical of HR for a long, long time. You know, one of the guys looks at me and he's like, did you do this? And I was like, mm-hmm. maybe. And uh, after that, no question about the value. And, you know, we went on to work together through the acquisition with Dell. And, uh, wow. you know, he's, he remains a, a friend today. So, Wow, what a great, great story. And so thinking back, so that's interesting. So the momentum has built for this person to leave. All the way to the point where the you're, you're, you're going to a happy hour party. It's planned. Going yeah. away party. And right before. So it's, it's hard to change that momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, what leadership skills did you bring to the table in that moment to reverse that, that situation? So I think the there was a couple things. Um, the, the first and foremost is I spoke to him as a person, you know, I kind of say like, I'm a joke with one of my colleagues now, and if we're just talking us, I take off my glasses. So it's just us. Um, and then I put them back on it's virtually. Um, but you know, I was talking to him as a human and really trying to understand, you know, what was going on. Um, it wasn't about his leader, his team, it was about him in that, Mm. in that moment. And I think that connection and the understanding of, I really actually cared what was happening. I wasn't just trying to avert a loss, um, of, of someone, it was him. And I think that was first and foremost. The second thing Mm. is that I had secured commitment from the leadership to do what I needed to do. So if in part of it was changing his role. And so Mm. I had the capability knowing it going into the conversation to say, 
you know, yes to commitments like, yep, I can, that will happen. Um, that empowerment that kind of came through, you know, the, the leadership of, you know, the software team, they were trusting me. They empowered me with that decision-making and commitment capability. He knew that. So it wasn't just going to be false promises, right? It was going to be something I could actually deliver mm. on. Um, and then I, thirdly, I enlisted his senior leadership too, to come in on the second part. I insist, you know, insisted he come in and he came in and again, too, I prepped him. I was like, you know, here's what's going on. This is where we're at on the conversation. And, you know, really just bolstered the commitment from the organization to him to really address what he needed to be able to stay with us. Well, thank you for sharing that, Julie. I think every leader that's listening right now got to take notes because it can feel like you know, hey, I've got a team member going and I can't do anything about it. I can't change your role. I can't, I'm not even going to ask them what they want because I know I can't do it. I'm powerless. And that mentality, you lose good people, uh, you lose productivity, and it can create a devastating, catastrophic spiral of turnover inside your organization. But what you did was you were telling you're really proactive and having those conversations first. And, mm -hmm. and really securing, you know, the, the possibilities for what you could do for, for this individual. Absolutely. He's probably shocked. He's like, you can do that. You can change my role. You're like, yeah, I've already he had was. this conversation. I mean, like I said, there were tears. Yeah. 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 I can make it happen. <laughs> wow. Amazing. Amazing. I just think it was, it was still to this day is, you know, Julie, I just love that story. So many leaders are going to take a lot from from that. I myself too. I mean, I can remember uh, when, when I had teams and organizations, and I don't still think I was really proactive about it. And having that, having those moments, and also you had the fortitude to not give up. So even yeah. this person's going to their. I am very tenacious. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Some usually people are going to their going away party. They're like, okay, this person's literally leaving you're like no one more yeah. one more at bat the conversation all right so let's so let's move into the next thing here another question here understand uh that you like a lot of other leaders out there myself included in included have faced imposter syndrome what have you done to push past it well i've had a long time to to come up with a, an answer to that. Um, and it's because I think it's something I struggled with a long time. Um, I was a first gen college graduate. So, you know, first in my family to graduate from college. Um, and that sort of, you know, it can be a feather in your cap, but at the same time, it can be like a little bit of like, do I really long? And I struggled with that even starting freshman year in college of like, what am I doing here? This is, this is not what we do. Um, to, you know, starting out in, in the world. And I did not mean to go in HR that that was sort of a happy accident. Um, and here I am. So, you know, a lot of this was self-learning early on. Um, and I would have hives so badly when I had to get up and speak to people that I would wear turtlenecks. <laughs> it was, it was incredible. And until I had advice from somebody coming along and, and she was like, they want to hear what you have to say. 
I mean, it could have been something like benefits, which clearly people do want to hear what you have to say when you're doing that. Um, but, you know, they want to hear what you have to say. Nobody wants you to be a failure up there. So just like kind of go up there, mm-hmm. be confident. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. Um, it, it came, some of it sort of naturally comes with age. I'm not going to lie. Um, but the rest of it is the more I feel that I leaned into who I'm supposed to be as a person and as a leader, the less I felt like I was not living up to some other person's example of, of what I was supposed to be doing. And I think that's where my imposter syndrome was coming from is, you know, the, the, this is what it means to be an executive. And this is what it means to be, um, you know, a leader and you need to run it this way. Or if you're a working parent, you need to work like you don't have kids. And if you parent, you, you know, you parent, like you don't have a job that is horrible. (laughs) Um, so when you start to Mm. really live in the skin that you're in, um, I think it does help. And I think too, um, I found it very valuable as I'm, you know, in a fortunate position to like mentor other folks coming up where I see like kind of the weirdness in them and embrace it. And it helps me to further embrace it in myself and realize that there is no one size fits all to what being a leader and leading with heart means. Um, Mm. so I'm not an imposter anymore because I'm just me. Love that. And it's, it's like where you're, what I'm, one of the things I'm taking away, which I really like to say, you have imposter syndrome because you're an imposter. You were trying to do it right. the way that you saw someone else do it. And we could probably mm-hmm. deep dive on that, but it could be, and I know you're a sociology major, right? Or yep. yeah. So <laughs> we could probably deep dive on where that came from and how Gordon Gecko and Wall Street or whatever the uh, other bosses 100%. did it. <laughs> and you're like, wait yeah, a I minute. Always, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. not me. Right. Um, and also like never the pinstripe suit business. Right. But one of my, um, one of my former colleagues, she told a story that I love that was, you know, she came up in a time where all of the suits had the really big shoulder pads. So she went out and she bought that suit with the really big shoulder pads. And it's like, you just feel like you're playing dress up. And I, same thing. First job I had suits in every color. Right. And it's, that realization of like, I'm literally wearing a costume and playing a role. This is not me. And so I think that was part of that realization of just, I don't have to do that to have an impact and be a leader and be respected and be seen as credible, um, which I hope I've done subsequently. (laughs) Wow. So for leaders listening, one is, I think it's, I think it's important for us to evaluate, are we leading and are we being ourselves in that role mm-hmm. or are we trying to be something else that we've seen? And I think it's interesting because people say, well, you need to have role models, but it's a difference for having positive role models and then actually impersonating them. And I think you right. just julify it. Like you, you yeah. put the Julie in which you've seen, and that's what makes it special. And you conquered, it sounds like your imposter syndrome by just bringing you to the equation and no more turtlenecks. To- no more turtlenecks. <laughs> I free. Um, I think, you know, part of it too is, is exactly what you mm. said of, you know, when, when I've come across leaders, you know, almost every leader, and I've been extremely fortunate to work with some amazing humans. Um, I try to take something away for what did I admire most about the way that they interacted with people. And it could be 
things from, you know, I had a leader years ago, he hand wrote birthday cards to everyone every year. Like, and we're talking like in multi-thousand people organization, like he just kept track of these things. And I was so impressed. And I'm like, maybe his admin doesn't, I don't really care, but it's still his signature (laughs) on the card. Um, Mm. and you know, that was gosh, 15 years ago or whatever. Mm. I think there's, there's these little tidbits that you take away, um, from, from others and you kind of put it into your repertoire, but again, it's got to fit with you and not be like, Oh, I say this, or I do this because I thought I was really impressed when this person did it. Yeah. And it sounds like one of the things I'm taking away is overcoming imposter syndrome is a journey. And you don't necessarily do it. Like you said, it, it's taken years and it's, it gets easier as you go along if you're intentional about it. And I think people can probably relate to that. So it's not a day one thing, but you can start making headway on it by just being thoughtful of probably where, where, where have your perceptions on leadership come from? And if you're to put your own spin on it, you know, where does it, where does that, where does that lead to? I noticed just sort of trying to speak in the other generations. I noticed recently that you were doing some presentations for students at a, at a, at a college. Is that right? Mm-hmm. At a, was that, was that Virginia Tech or was that a different at a high school? Okay. High school. You're a busy executive. Yep. Even younger. Yeah, you, oh my <laughs> gosh. Okay. They were just learning to walk. No. <laughs> what grade was it? It was uh, juniors and seniors. Juniors. Oh, juniors. Okay. Juniors and seniors. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. What do you, as a, as an executive, get from this? Obviously, it feels good, good to give back. But you're also an HR leader, an executive for a big organization. You've got a lot of things going on. What's that? I mean, what do you take away from those moments when you're working with the high school students? Um, So it, I mean, I do, I just love it. Um, But one of the things that I really take away is the, the ability to impact the kids and see them see an option for themselves that they didn't consider before. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting because we, up until last year, lived up in the DC area, um, hyper-competitive, um, I'm from there. So, um, it's, it was really different moving down to a smaller town where we are now. Um, and one of the things that here is there's far more, um, I think just acknowledgement and acceptance of the multitude of paths that kids can take down here in, in, in the DC <laughs> area, it's a little bit like four year college that you're, you're going to do that. Right. It's a little, it's pre-baked. Um, and if you don't fit that, it's a little, it's a little bit more of a challenge. So, you know, down where we are now, whether it's, you're going into HVAC or electrical, or you're going to the community college in town, or you're going away to four year university, or you're starting to work at the pharmacy down the street, they're all viable options, but talking to them about how to put their best foot forward, how to frame, like, you know, one of them is like, I'm just, I'm just a barista. And I was like, do you like it? And she was like, yeah. Um, you know, it's like, okay, then you're not just anything like, don't, don't downplay it. This is how, and talk about your customer service, right? This is, 
the way that you frame it and talk about yourself also like don't diminish don't 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 pale yourself because you think some pressures say that it's got to be something else right um it's not good enough well it is good enough because you enjoy it so working with them and showing them like the ways to frame these things the ways to put their best foot forward um i did an interview skill session with them too and the first thing i did was you know shake my hand <laughs> handshakes are very important today um even even post covid um, you know, it's the looking in the eye and having that confidence about whatever you want to do, go move with purpose and intent to do so. Uh, and I think that's really what I get is like when you see them like, oh, geez, I didn't really think about that. I didn't know I could frame it that way. Or I never thought of doing that that way and being able to get ahead. Right. So um, that's I personally love it. It kind of puts fuel in my tank. Wow. It's amazing how when you inspire others, you get that reciprocity sometimes and you walk away inspired. I could tell from that picture on LinkedIn that you were you were in the inspiration zone on in uh both in both circles. Yeah, there. It's, yeah you know, really it's, cool. It's not why you do it, but it's a pretty great benefit. <laughs> yeah, it's a great benefit. And also really liked your message. I think that we don't communicate that enough to people who are having their first jobs in terms of what they're mm -hmm. taking away, what that experience, what are they noticing about themselves in terms of how they like it? And it's so easy to look at that first job as, Hey, you know, I'm just getting paid or something along those lines, right. but you can learn something about yourself that can help you drive your career. And then what a huge impact for an executive to walk in a classroom. Um, it gives them a view of someone that's much further along in their journey and mm -hmm. helps them conceptualize, and you know, my intro, mm -hmm. my intro, sorry, uh, yeah. is, uh, I'm a mom of a sophomore like that. <laughs> so yeah, I'm CHRO for HCSS, but I'm a mom of a sophomore. Um, that's how I introduced myself. <laughs> and I said, and, oh, by the way, my daytime job is, is this, um, you yeah. know, cause I think that that's it too, is just knowing I live in your community. I shop probably at the store that you work at. Like this, these people are all around you all the become time. Become relatable. Yep. Yeah. Which is the dark side of it. They're like, Oh, there's an executive. Like how can they relate to my life? And you're like, wait, I live yeah. here. I'm like, here. Yeah. You probably live down the street from you, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is great. Great stuff. Well, I, I, I can't, get you off of here without let you off of here without asking you about what you said earlier about getting into HR was a happy accident. <laughs> what, what do you mean yep. by that? So as you said, you know, I have a sociology degree and um, I lost my grandfather my senior year in college. And I was pretty sure that I wanted to work with the elderly, um, probably in social services. This was my plan. So my first job out of college, um, making very, very little, um, I moved up to Maryland and worked in a retirement community. Um, I was working mostly with the residents, everything from like working in the sales office to doing some of the activities and things like that. You do a little bit of everything and um, really hmm. considering the pursuit of the, the license in the social work. Till I realized a couple things. Um, one, I wanted to be able to feed myself and the pay is horrible, uh, which was really dissuading. Um, one job paid $7.55 an hour, but I could live there. 
that would I could live with the retirement community as a, yeah. a two year old. So try that on. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, that's I, not a benefit. Like, is that a benefit or is that they should be like, paying you more for that? That's I don't even know how to process that. Yeah. But um, the other thing that happened is the person who was doing HR left, and they were like, "Well, Julie can do it," and I was like, "I can." You know, I don't really know anything about it. Hmm. And this is, again, to date myself, this was burgeoning internet. It's not like I was going out there and finding everything I needed to know, like on Google, because there wasn't one. Um, but the first thing that happened is I got a Department of Labor audit for our I-9. So I hmm. you bet you, like I went and had to figure out how to do all that. And we were not in compliance. So I had to hurry up and get us in compliance. Um, so from there, it was almost like I was bit. And then I realized like, okay, this is kind of leveraging <laughs> that mm. the human piece of things and kind of understanding people and motivations and drivers of decisions and, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and all that good stuff. Um, but I also probably have a chance of feeding myself <laughs> as, a, as a job. So, um, so I started there. from there and I've been in HR ever since. What a journey. And it sounds like HR is one of those jobs where you can go in a lot of different directions and you can learn a lot and there's always something new to learn. Uh, one of things that comes up with HR is that uh, sometimes they get called last from the executive group. So uh, they don't always get a seat at the table. Uh, they get called when there's a mess mm -hmm. and that causes problems <laughs> bigger than the mess they're cleaning up because they're getting yes. called so late. You're, you're in the C-suite now as, as an HR leader. What advice do you have for leaders who are not in the C-suite and, or maybe even on their own team, they're not getting a seat at the table to be in those upfront strategic conversations, what, what's, your, what's some advice or, or a strategy that, that you found to be successful? So, so this was one that kind of has evolved in the, in the back half of my career so far. Um, the, the first part, I, I would not have thought of this either. Um, you know, I was pretty much staying in my lane and doing my thing in HR. The biggest piece of advice I would give is learn the business of your business. Um, it's absolutely critical for your credibility and for your voice to be recognized at the table. Um, you know, heck, I think it's great if you can turn around and just shock them, right? Like offer some piece of information that they would never expect HR <laughs> would come up with, right? Defy logic. Be like, what? She said what? Um, because I think that's really what it is. It's, there's a there's a systematic belief, I think, that has happened. And it's a disservice to a lot of really great HR people um, that we just do the softer side of things. We don't understand the actual business, the financial mm -hmm. impact of decisions, the ROI of decisions, et cetera. And I think it's incumbent upon each of us, if you really want that seat at the table, A, just squeeze in. B, come to the table with, with facts and opinions even if it is not directly, in fact, it's better if it's not directly related to your domain, um, because I think that's where you kind of get that, hmm. that invitation to say more uh, when you come from a full scope perspective and not just, you know, kind of the, what's seen as the myopic view of HR. 
so important and it's so important for HR, but even leaders beyond HR think beyond the function about the business Yep. and people are going to see you more as a team player versus, well, this oh, is just here to talk about function. HR. You know, it's a lot of functions, finance, accounting, like anything, if you, you know, really, well, this is by the numbers. Well, then the numbers sometimes don't factor humans, right? And we get the opposite, right? It's just people, but like, mm-hmm. I don't think about the numbers. I think, you know, it's, it's all facets, um, you know, and it depends too on the culture of the organization. Some organizations lead with sales in the forefront, right? Others lead with technology in the forefront. It depends on kind of the nature of the business. Whatever it is that's out there in the forefront, understand what makes that part of the organization tick. Um, Get in. If you don't know, like talk to people like, hey, could I I bother you for a little bit of time? I just want to understand better what your team does. Okay. People love talking about themselves and their teams. So like, that's one of the best ways to do it. And you don't have, you don't have to learn it by hook or by crook, you can actually invite these people in to be a part of your learning. Um, they'll more than likely be happy to do so. Um, and then it just, it kind of helps your voice be heard. Julie, thank you for that. And starting to wrap this up, what's your parting thought for our listeners today? So I think, you know, now more than ever, looking back over, um, you know, COVID and how things have changed, I think that I'm, I'm more and more convinced that we need to bring our full selves to work Um, that, you know, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, I think the B is really, really important. You know, you can be diverse by just happenstance by nature, um, but that doesn't mean you're inclusive or that everyone feels that they're a part of it. Um, I think that's what we need to be looking at more and more these days. Um, And it starts with each of us showing up as our own person and presenting to the organization confidently who we are. And I think you you create that space for others to do so when you're in a leadership role and you can kind of show the confidence with which you do that. Um, So that's, you know, creating that space. And that inclusiveness so that you can move everyone forward together and they feel like they're a part of what's happening is really the most important thing we can do. And it's it's on the shoulders of leaders to make sure that they're doing that and not closing down spaces or putting people back in the box or making people feel like they have to be imposters, <laughs> wear those costumes. Um, and because this is the the next generations of work there. It's not that they want this. They're going to demand it. They expect it. This is how work will be. Um, and so the sooner we can kind of embrace that, embrace ourselves and and our weirdness and the weirdness that kind of everybody individually brings to the organization, the better we'll all be. Yeah, so many good points there to wrap up on. Belonging be, being so key. Everyone's heard about the belonging piece, but I think that your, your point is insightful that if people don't feel free be their full person, the person, mm-hmm. the entity, the person that you're trying to make space for to belong, it's not going to bring it. Exactly. So you're not, you're, their belonging is going to be based on the imposter or something along those yep. lines. And then I like the really uh, concrete example of, hey, you got to do that by leading by example. You say, hey, we want you to feel like you belong here and that you can be included on stuff. But if you don't show that, you're being real as a leader uh, and showing them who you are, 
then they're not going to feel comfortable bringing that. So the whole thing won't work. So I love that really, really foundational part that Julie, thank you so much for coming on lead the team today. My pleasure. It's been fun. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of The Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.